a non-emergency edition of the Metrospective. Pete McCarthy with Tim Britton. Uh, the Mets split a series in Washington and certainly an improvement over what had been a, a hectic at the very least couple of weeks for these New York Mets. How have you been, Tim? Everything OK? So, Pete, I have, I have to start with a story. Uh, you know, we've talked about how I don't like ordering delivery food, obviously, uh, but I haven't done it in the, the almost two and a half years I've lived in New York. Uh, so, so the other day, Crazy. My, my brother wanted to do something nice uh, for, for me and my fiance. He wanted to buy us dinner. So we ordered pizza from our favorite local pizzeria, uh, Soto La Stella in Sunnyside. Uh, and he ordered it through Grubhub. And he told me shortly, you know, he told me uh, a little earlier in the day he was going to do something for us like that. Uh, but so it was going to be delivered to our apartment. Uh, so he had like a time range going to be there, you know, within this 15 minute span. But the delivery guy called his number and not my number. My brother wasn't <laughs> at his phone at the moment the delivery guy was there. Uh, and so, you know, fine, you know, it was supposed to be there between like 7.30, 7.45. At, at 10 to 8, my brother texts me, is, is, is the pizza there yet? How, how is it? I said, it hasn't gotten here. He goes, ah, the, the guy said he, he delivered it. Yeah. Um, he left a message for me. Uh, and, and then my brother called him and the guy goes, yeah, I tried to call. I just left the pizza on the stairs. <laughs> and so he yeah. goes, you got to check the stairs. So I go, I go downstairs and man, I could smell the pizza. It smelled delicious, but the pizza was not there. Oh my gosh. And Are you so kidding me? somebody took the pizza. So we are left with two conclusions here. Either the delivery guy lied to my brother and just took the pizza himself. You probably don't do that if you're a pizza no. delivery guy, cause you're around pizza all the time. You probably get regular access to pizza the other possibility is that he left the pizza there and then within like three or four minutes a pizza bandit stepped into the lobby of my apartment building and took two pizzas who does that in 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 a pandemic pete who steals delivery pizza off another man's lobby that's horrific uh, seriously that that's that's terrible I don't know if I've I've ordered delivery like hundreds of times. I don't know if I've had an experience that bad. You do it once and it's all over. I, I guess you had the right idea all along. Never Somehow. again. And we, we will we will find the pizza bandit. Uh, I don't think we will, Sam. Queens. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I have no faith in your detective <laughs> skills to find this pizza bandit. I think you would have had him already. It's but, uh, you know. Getting to the Mets, I don't know how to transition off the the delivery story pizza to the Mets here, but we'll try. And uh, and as I mentioned, you know, look, a, a split in Washington after all the UN Cespedes drama. It was odd the way that they won on Wednesday because all of a sudden this team's showing gloves off and looking spry, and Billy Hamilton stealing bases. I'm like, who is this team? Yeah, I mean, you go into that Wednesday game, you're, you're going up against Max Scherzer, you look at the lineup looks, mm. uh, the weakest that it's looked at any point all season. You know, I'm, I'm looking at that starting nine and, and thinking, man, I remember opening day when we said this was the deepest lineup the Mets had had since like 2006. <laughs> this this ain't it. Uh, mm. You know, with that bottom third of, of Guillaume and, and Hamilton and Andres Jimenez. Uh, but then you saw what they could do defensively. And, and as I wrote, like, you know, when's the last time you could say the Mets won a game with their defense? 
Like, you, you had those back-to-back plays in the fourth inning with Conforto throwing out Juan Soto, trying to go first to third. Nice play, nice, uh, Great throw by Conforto, obviously, and a really nice tag by Jimenez, scurrying mm-hmm. over from his shortstop position to cover third. Uh, and then J.D. Davis with a ridiculous backhand and throw from his knees. Uh, J.D. Davis! I think, I mean, you know, it's one thing if it's like Hamilton or Jimenez, but J.D. Davis is making big plays. Right. I mean, Davis making a couple of nice plays at third the last two nights. You know, the, the Mets didn't like what they saw from him early on last season defensively at third. Uh, and so even later in the year when there was playing time open at third base, when, when you know, Todd Frazier was out again for a little bit of time, uh, they would still play, you know, McNeil at third and Davis in the outfield rather than vice versa. Uh, but the way he played uh, last night... Uh, it made you think like maybe he could be better at third than the outfield. You know, you get more balls hit to you. Your your defensive vulnerabilities are exposed more on the infield. But that that's a one takeaway that I had. And then, you know, Jimenez has been probably the biggest takeaway of the first two weeks for the Mets at this point. Uh, the way he's looked uh, completely prepared for this level. Uh, certainly doesn't look like a guy who skipped over AAA. Certainly doesn't look like a guy who struggled much in AA the way he did for a large stretch of last season. Uh, and looks kind of like, you know, I remember talking to double-A manager Luis Rojas about Jimenez late in 2018, uh, and he made an interesting comparison between Jimenez and Rosario then. He said Rosario was the guy who kind of had all the tools, and it was just a matter, matter of whether he was going to be able to, to get to them all and in the major leagues. You know, was, was the speed going to play? Was the power going to show up? Whereas Jimenez might not have all the tools, but he was going to get the most out of what he had. Uh, and I think you see that with a professional approach. Doesn't look overmatched at all offensively. Uh, really smooth wherever he's played defensively. Uh, you know, this this is a guy who, in a short period of time, uh, has won over a lot of Mets fans and is, is maybe changing how you think about this infield longer term. Terry Collins would call Jimenez a ball player, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. like, there's some guys that just know what they're doing out there. They have a feel for the game. And I don't think Terry's the only one who's used to that cliche. <laughs> But it, there's a, you can see it sometimes, and it's not about the tools. It's not one thing that explodes out to you, but you get an a, uh, opportunity, you take advantage of it. He has done that, and, and have another rookie, as we've talked about at times, David Peterson, step up in the rotation, and now he is cemented in there. Uh, that is big. And, and getting to that rotation, Rick Porcello had been concerning with how things had started it's amazing how you have some big plays behind you and suddenly things start to look easy, seven innings of one run ball. Yeah, I mean, the the first start for Porcello was a disaster, no matter how you looked at it. You know, his stuff didn't look good. He, he was getting hit pretty hard. The second start, you know, the one down in Atlanta was better. I thought he pitched a little bit better than the, the final stat line, which I think was four innings, four runs. You know, he gave up two of those runs in that last, when he came out for the fifth inning, there was an error involved there. Uh, gave up a bunch of singles in a row in the first inning of that game. Uh, but, you know, he didn't give up really the hard hit balls in that game quite the same way the first time. So I thought that was an improvement. Uh, and then, you know, uh, on, on Wednesday night, you saw what he can be as a starter. It's, it's, that's more in line with the Rick Porcello that I saw a lot of in 2016 when he won the Cy Young, which is a guy who's knifing through an opposing lineup. You know, after the third inning, he only went to ball two on one guy. <laughs> you know, the final four innings he was in the game. Uh, you know, everything else was done in, in two or three pitches, getting quick, easy contact, weak contact. You see, you know, that sinker's working well. Uh, his changeup, which he, he 
couldn't throw for a strike the first time out against the Braves, uh, was working much better. He didn't have to rely on his slider quite as often uh, as he did earlier uh, in the season. So that's, you know, he's not going to be like that every time out, but that's what he can be when he's on. Uh, and, and it was really good for him to, to kind of bounce back after the way those first couple outings had gone. And his 150th career win, which is a pretty impressive total in today's day and age when I, I don't know that we're going to see anybody uh, get to 300 again. Um, you look ahead for the Mets here. They play 16 days in a row starting on Friday. Lots of division games upcoming, which is kind of just the nature of the way this year's schedule is. But they get the first place Miami Marlins coming up next. Uh, Miami, look, they've only played six games, half of them against the Orioles. But they're sitting there at 5-1, and one, and the Mets will see the Nationals at City Field again go to Philadelphia. The Phillies having a rough go, especially in that bullpen, and then they're in Miami once again. But this is an important series against the Marlins. Not that you expect the Marlins to be competing for the division here, but again, when you look at this new playoff format, it's those teams that are fighting to be around 500. That's where you got to make your bacon if you're the Mets because, look— they're fighting to be the second best team in the division or probably third or fourth if we're being realistic about things right now. Getting ahead of Miami will be important. And at the very least, trying to collect some wins against a team that is still missing some players. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to gauge kind of where the Marlins are. What did they call it, 16 or 18 guys the other day? I mean, like, imagine the Mets roster where you're calling up the entire alternate site crew from Brooklyn. I think that was 2009. They did. Yeah. That's where it was. It Corey Sullivan batting third and Jeremy Reed batting fifth, something like that. Uh, Alex Corus leading off every night. Arhanus Reyes. Um, My knowledge of the 2009 Mets better than I expected. Uh, Showing off. (laughs) uh, So yeah, you you don't really know where that team is at. And you would think that from a competitive standpoint, you should be in a better position than them. Uh, you know, the Marlins, they still haven't played at home. They've been on, you know, been traveling when they were quarantined in Philadelphia. They couldn't do anything, uh, at least the guys who were there, the healthy guys who were there. Uh, so you would think from a competitive standpoint that the Mets should be able to take advantage of them, in particular this weekend uh, at, at City Field before going down to Miami for, for that next series. You know, you look at the division right now and, and the Braves have played the, the best uh, non-Marlins section of the of the division. Uh, but obviously their, their starting pitching is a major concern after the Mike Soroka injury, which was terrible, terrible mm. to watch. Uh, I've, I've never seen an Achilles injury where you like saw it go that way. Uh, it was like Ryan right Howard at the end of the 2008 World Series where it just, boom, one step and it's it's gone. Yeah, you know, I, that was the injury that always scared me as a kid because Dan Marino did that in like the early 90s uh, and I heard it was a non-contact injury. So I assumed as like a five-year-old that it could just happen anytime that I was walking, uh, my Achilles could snap. Um, <laughs> I, was a, I was a weird kid. Um, so, <laughs> lots you know, of concerns, lots of can, anxiety. <laughs> so, you know, you can see a pathway, like it's easier in the NL East right now than it is in the NL West to see a clear path to, like, second place. Uh, you know, the NL West, you've got the Dodgers, Padres, and Rockies all playing pr- playing really well at the start of the year. Uh, the NL East, you know, the, the Nats have, have stumbled here and there. The Phillies, like you said, that bullpen is so shallow that basically beyond Hector Neris, there is no one in that bullpen that they can trust. Uh, so, you you know, it's, it's easier to say, okay, the Mets are 5-8, and eight, but... You know, they don't have to get to 34 and 26 to make the playoffs. It might only be 28 and 32 
and that's good enough to finish second in a division that is not as strong right now as it seemed it was going to be back in the spring. Yeah, Scherzer with his hamstring injury now. Strasburg's been out for Washington, so there are a lot of injuries that teams are dealing with uh, in this division right now because the Mets, look, they don't deserve to have any kind of playoff conversation put on them based on the way that they have played, but you, you do have to acknowledge that when more than half of the major league teams, eight of the 15 in the National League, are making it into the postseason, you know, getting to 500 and the Mets are only three under, that, that puts you right back in the mix that so things can change very quickly for this Mets team. But we'll be back with you on Tuesday morning after the Mets uh, play three with Miami and open up a four-game series with the Washington Nationals. And Tim, I'm, I have no faith, but I hope, I do hope that you find this pizza bandit. I will eat nothing but pizza until I track him down, which will leave me very well fed. Adios. Well, you should try it again. Maybe you order at the same time, leave it down there, but this time you're watching, you know? Oh, see, you've, you've thought this through. I, I, just, I, just, I just threw it out there like I was vigilant. Adios, Pete.